The first reading from the Old Testament comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, reading from verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Thank this is the word of the Lord. The Gospel is from the book of St. Luke, chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. He, that is Jesus, went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. This is the Gospel of the Lord. May it be to you, O Christ. Shall we pray? Speak, O Lord, as we come to receive the food of your holy word. Take the truth and plant it deep in us. 
shape and fashion us into your likeness, that the light of Christ may be seen in all our acts of love and deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill all your purposes for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. They were a people who were rescued from the Egyptian bondage, passed through the Red Sea, sealing their separation from Egypt, enjoyed the daily manna, protected, provided, and sustained on their journey throughout the wilderness. They also received divine instructions on how to live and please God And yet, with all these heavenly blessings, they often turned their hearts from their Yahweh. There were cycles of faith responding, faith receding, and faith returning. When I read these narratives in the Old Testament about the children of Israel, his chosen possessions, and their behavior, I'm reminded of myself looking into the mirror, the word of God. Perhaps this is true for most of us. Like the Israelites, we too have been rescued, restored, separated, and from the slavery of sin, and brought into that perfect union with Christ. We long for a religious structure and not the personal intimate relationship. Perhaps our struggle is not so much as a matter of knowledge as it is a matter of the will. We want direction, but not a God. They, as well as us, are chasing the God that we desire rather than accepting the God who is sovereign and very personal. Jeremiah's message to God's people in chapter 17 that was read to us this morning is as relevant to us as it was in the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was just sharing God's feelings about God's people. Our personal relationship is God's highest priority for us. That was the purpose of his death on the cross and his resurrection, for us to be restored, sealed, and empowered by his spirit into a daily living relationship with him, for him to accomplish his glory and his purposes through us. And trying to replace him in our relationships with anything or with anyone else always results in a curse. And that's in verse 5. Conversely, in verse 7, there is a blessedness when we trust in him alone and put our hope and confidence in him. The results of our choices are either barrenness, that is spiritual barrenness, or a sustained blessedness, like a tree by the riverside 
always firmly rooted and yielding its fruit in every season. In a life of trusting in God, everything in the intimate relationship with Christ is dependent on the choice of our thoughts and our desires. As in the case of the children of Israel and in our cases, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Our sinful nature leads us into good ideas which are not God's ideas. And one good idea leads to another, and before long, we have wandered away from God. In verse 9 of Jeremiah 17, God clearly declares, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And verse 10 reminds us of God's knowledge of us, every breath, every thought, and even every heartbeat. Perhaps we are at a breaking point in our lives, but Jesus can convert that into a turning point. He lovingly invites us to come to him, take his yoke upon us, and to learn of him. We have the advantage that is a privilege of proximity to just reach out to him from wherever we are because God is near. All he wants from us is that we call out to him recognizing our utter dependence on him. God's business is to sanctify our lives and cleanse us of every alien thought. When we begin to bring our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, we discover that a deprogramming of our secular view of life commences. And that deprogramming could take as long as the programming that initially started it. It is not easy, and it does take time, especially with all that is happening around us, with the many alluring attractions and the deceptions of this world. The rational and the emotional part of us wants to change our circumstances, but God does not want to change our circumstances. He wants to change us. The turning point also comes with a cost. Though our pledge to trust in, there is a critical ingredient, our willingness to sacrifice ourselves. With the atonement of the cross, as Andrew Murray puts it, there is a fellowship of the cross that calls for the crucifixion of the self on the cross. The blood that cleanses us from our dead works can also cleanse us from our selfishness, our pride, and every alien thought. Only when we put to death ourselves 
can we fully surrender to the Holy Spirit? It is as simple as just only when we empty ourselves can something else fill us. But God, when we surrender our lives to him, he gives us a new heart devoted to him. And we can be delivered from all our anxious cares, no matter what we have to deal with, whether we have a deal or no deal with Brexit, we can be rest assured our best deal is in trusting our Lord. Because he authors every chapter of our lives. And there is no more a blessed way in living than a life of dependence upon the covenant-keeping God. We have no care, for he cares for us. We have no troubles because we have cast our burdens upon him. And as Jeremiah put it, to trust in the Lord is to be forever nurtured, like a tree planted by the waters, yielding its fruit. And along with surrendering to the Spirit, we are also required to keep our hearts with diligence in the spiritual understanding and the knowledge of God. Because out of our hearts flows the issues of life. Those are not my words. These, those are Jesus' words and words from Proverbs. A call to appropriate the resources that Calvary offers for us. And I wish to share with you some of the few practical tips that I have followed in our spiritual journey as we try to keep our hearts obedient to him and learn to trust him. Perhaps these may be helpful to you. Firstly, daily meditate upon God's word. Why? I think 2 Timothy 3.16 tells that very clearly. They are good. They are first inspired by God. It's good for our correction, instruction, and equipping us for every good work. Or, as the psalmist in Psalm 1 writes, meditating upon God's word, he repeats what Jeremiah writes, will be like a tree planted and firmly rooted by the rivers of water and yielding its fruit, the spiritual fruits, which are developed and cultivated from the streams of living water. Secondly, commune regularly with God. Just don't say, give me, give me, but try, make me, and thank you. And also with the psalmist to join, create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. And finally, persevere with faith in God. Because in the school of faith and trusting in God, the soul is strengthened as he accomplishes his purposes through us for his glory. 
And meditating and communing with God helps us to persevere in faith. Where faith in God begins, anxiety ends. It won't make sense to those around us when we can maintain the peace and composure when everyone is losing their hearts. Perhaps they are curious enough to inquire how we do it. And then there's an opportunity for us to share God's message with them. Remember, behind the trail of everything and every trying circumstances, there is a blessing waiting to be born. God never promises a smooth journey, but a safe arrival. And I'll leave you with a verse in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Shall we pray? O oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels thy blood so freely shed for me, a heart resigned, submissive, meek, my great Redeemer's throne, where Christ alone is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone, a heart in every thought renewed and full of love divine, perfect and right, true and good, a copy, Lord of thine. Amen.